Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Morning, church. If you could open up your Bibles to Ephesians 5.21, that's where we'll be uh, um, starting this morning in our continuation of the repurposed sermon series, Ephesians 5.21. I want to give you this disclaimer Right at the beginning of this message this morning, though, there will be some of you in this room who do not like, who will not like this message very much. Just tell you that straight up. There will be some in this room who will not like this message very much, and the reason why is you do not like to lose. You don't like to lose. As much as it is under your power and authority to control, you will fight and claw against losing. And that's, that's me, too. That's me too. I hate to lose, which is rough because I've dedicated myself to, becoming, to being a Cubs fan my entire life, just like Mark. It's tough. It's a tough situation to be in. I hate to lose. Um, and just to give you a little bit of insight into how neurotic I am, um, I still remember when I was in third grade, uh, the third grade school spelling bee. I still remember how distraught I was when I lost that spelling bee. I still remember the word that I lost on. The word was through. I still remember how I spelled the word through. T-H-R-O-O. And I remember just how angry and upset I was that I lost that spelling bee. And then so when my daughter comes home from school, not that long ago, angry and distraught that she had lost her school spelling bee because she misspelled the word grow. When she was so angry and so distraught, I thought to myself, what have I done to this poor child? I hate losing. Do you hate losing? I hate losing. And unfortunately, in our culture, the topic that we're going to talk today, the topic of submission, submission, in our culture, that's just become another way of saying, you lose. You lose. Before I get very far into the message at all, though, I, I really feel like I, I preached a couple weeks ago from Ephesians chapter 4, and I feel like I want to go back really quickly to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, because I really believe that this might be the most important, or one of the most important verses in this entire letter. In Ephesians 4, 1, Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Our passage today won't make any sense unless we see it in light of that verse. The grace of Jesus Christ has called us into a new life, a repurposed life. A life that looks radically different than our old life. And a new life that oftentimes will look radically different than the way of the world. And I don't think there's any better example of this than Ephesians 5.21 where Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. To submit means to give up control, to limit yourself, to take yourself down a notch or two or three, and to place yourself under someone else. And you'll find very few commands in Scripture that are more countercultural than the command to submit to one another. 
Tim Keller, who's a well-known author and speaker, um, I, I was listening to him um, in a podcast recently, and uh, he was talking about what, what he calls the identity narrative of our world, the identity narrative of our culture. And the identity story that we're, go- that we're given in our culture, the story that we're told to live by, is a story that says, you must get yours, no matter the cost. You must fulfill all of your own personal ambitions and desires. This is the only heroic narrative left in our culture. A heroic narrative that says, I have to spend my life trying to get whatever I want to get. And, and once I live my most authentic self, then I will have achieved life's end. Then I will have achieved life's purpose. And the morality of the world then, the morality of the world becomes almost a trickle-down morality. You take care of yourself, you take care of your own desires, your own ambitions, your own goals, take care of yourself, and then if there's anything left over, then you could take care of someone else. And this narrative is all around us, and it's a, it's a narrative that's really powerful, it's really strong, it's in TV, it's in movies, it's in culture, it's everywhere that we look. A narrative that says, to submit is to lose, To place yourself behind or under anyone else is to lose something about who you are or should be. And so when Paul says, submit to one another, an almost involuntary protest comes to our lips. And so instead of trying to look for ways that we might obey this command or figure out ways to actually submit to one another, we almost start to think of different ways why this might be bad advice or why this, oh, Paul, you couldn't have meant what you actually said. And so let let me make two observations here at the very outset of my message. Two really quick observations, and then we'll move on. First observation is this. In the New Testament, submission is always a voluntary state. It's a personal choice which assumes that we have the freedom to live in a different way, but nevertheless, we have chosen to limit our freedom for the sake of honoring others. So, in other words, submission that is forced upon us, a forced submission, is never a biblical submission. So that's the first observation. The second observation is this. Even within Scripture, there are certain common sense boundaries for submission. Just give you an example of this. It was the same Paul who said, submit yourself to governing authorities, who also was more than willing to stand up to those government, governing authorities and call them to account and remind them that Jesus was ultimately Lord. So even within scripture, you have some common sense boundaries to submission. To be submissive doesn't mean to be passive or to be passionless. So with those two observations aside now, let me just come back to the point. Jesus has called us to live as new people. And one of the principal ways that you and I live as new people in this world is by submitting to one another. If we're going to understand what it means to be faithful to the call to submit, there are at least three things that we've got to get straight this morning. Three things. The first thing is this. The context for submission is within relationships. The context for submission is in relation. Now, I know that seems... Incredibly profound. That seems ridiculously obvious, right? Like, I would be awesome at submission if it weren't for other people, okay? Um, But the context for submission is always in relationship. And let me say this as clear as I can. If our faith is to have any practical value in our lives, 
then it must come to impact our most intimate relationships. Yes? If our faith is going to have any practical value or importance in our life, then it has to come to affect our most intimate relationships. So Paul says, submit to one another. The submission that we have is within the context of relationships. And in the next passage that follows, starting in in Ephesians 5.22, Paul goes on to talk about the various ways that we submit to one another within various different relationships. So first of all, he talks about the relationship between husbands and wives. And I'm going to read a, a fairly long passage this morning, so stick with me, okay? But I think it's important we hear the whole passage. Verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are all members of his body. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The next group of relationships that he talks about is the relationship between parents and children. And so he says in chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and so that you may enjoy long life upon the earth. And fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And then finally, his last focus is the relationship. And this this is a very important, meaningful relationship in a lot of our lives. He talks about the relationship between masters and slaves, which in our culture today would be roughly equivalent to the relationship between an employer and a worker. And there are few relationships outside of family. There are few relationships that are as, as pressing as the relationships that we have at work. Right? And so he says in verse 5, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is upon you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you are serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that uh, he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. What I've always found interesting about this passage is just how politically incorrect it is. But not politically incorrect in the way that you and I probably think of politically incorrect. We read this, this text and, and we hear this talk about wives submitting to their husbands and slaves submitting to their masters and all this. And we, we cringe a little bit and we think to ourselves, Paul, Paul, you're showing your age. After all, we are much more sophisticated now, right? Like we know so much better now. Paul, this is, this is a problem. But actually what you need to understand is in Paul's culture, in Paul's culture... The father had absolute authority over every single person in his household. Absolute authority. Women in that culture were often, not always, but women in that culture were often treated as second or sometimes third class citizens. 
children in our culture are sort of the center of the universe, right? Like we were just talking backstage about how in so many of our families and so many of our communities, like everything is situated around the children. Our activities are situated around the children's activities. And that's kind of how our culture is. But in the first century when Paul was writing, children were essentially non-entities within a family. They were relatively unimportant. And then slaves, even though first century slavery was much different than the way that we, can, we think of slavery today, slaves in the first century were still treated as property. And so when Paul says, husbands, love your wives, and love your wives with a sacrificial, hold-nothing-back type of love, <clears throat> when he tells fathers, train their children in the Lord rather than wearing them out, And when he tells masters to treat their slaves with respect because they need to know that they will be held accountable by God who doesn't show favoritism. When Paul says all these things to a first century culture, you better believe that there were people in his audience that would have said, Paul, what about my rights? What about my privileges? What about me and the power that I have? You see, in Paul's own day and age, this would have been regarded as incredibly politically incorrect. Which just goes to show that no matter the culture, no matter the time, no matter the people, there's always something within us. No matter who we are, no matter what relationships we're in, there's always something within us that fights against submission. I don't want to submit. I don't feel like I need to submit. What about my privileges? What about what I want? What about my identity? I feel like I shouldn't have to submit in this situation. There are appropriate ways, listen, There are appropriate ways for us to practice submission regardless of what our station in life is. In every single relationship that we have, there are ways for us to practice what my good friend Michael DeFazio calls the discipline of not getting my way. As a wife, it may mean respecting the role of your husband in the household without belittling him or stripping him of his place in the family. As a husband, it may mean loving your wife to such an extent that your thoughts are only for what is best for her, a love that leads to grumble-free service and sacrifice. As a child, submission will mean obedience and honor to your parents, even when you don't always understand. What I found interesting in my study this week, the same word for submission that's used in Ephesians is also used in Luke chapter 2, verse 51 of Jesus himself submitting to his parents. And so if Jesus felt, if Jesus saw fit to submit to his parents, then certainly as a child today, we should feel uh, fit to submit to our parents. As a parent, you even submit to your children. Every time you patiently instruct your children, Every time you discipline your children, you're submitting yourself to them. You're basically putting their needs ahead of your own immediate needs and your own immediate gratification. As a worker, we submit when we conduct ourselves with integrity, with honesty, with respect for those who are over us. As a boss, you submit when you treat your workers fairly, and compassionately, not seeing them as pieces of machinery in your organization, but seeing them as souls entrusted to you by God. Whatever the relationship, whatever the context, there are appropriate ways for us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
And let me say it again. If our faith is to have any practical value in our lives whatsoever, then it must impact those relationships that are most intimate to us. Second point. Not only is the context for submission within relationships, but the motivation for submission is in Christ. The motivation, the why for submission is in Christ. Every command, if you look back at this passage, if you have your Bibles open, every command in this passage is rooted in discipleship. Every command to submit in this passage is rooted in our own submission, first and foremost to Christ. Our submission to others is rooted in this greater submission to Christ. Matter of fact, I would encourage you later on, if you don't have your Bibles today, later on, open up to this passage, Ephesians 5, 21 and following, and just with a pen or a pencil, go and underline every single place in this text where it talks about Jesus or God, and you will be amazed. Every single verse in this text refers us somehow back to our previous submission to Christ. So what this means is, submission is not about the other person. That's really important. Submission is not about the other person. Submission is not about how worthy or unworthy I may think they are. I mean, I'm getting ready, this Friday, I'm going to be in a minivan for 14 hours on the road with three children. My kids exasperate me all the time. I mean, can't I just exasperate them just a little bit? I mean, it's not, but, but what Paul is saying here is that my submission to my children by teaching them, by training them, by disciplining them, it's not rooted in how I'm feeling at the moment. And it's not rooted in how worthy or unworthy they may be. Our submission to one another has nothing to do with the worthiness of the other person, just like our own salvation has nothing to do with whether or not we're worthy of being saved or repurposed. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We submit to one another because we have already submitted to Christ. Submission will never make sense until we see it in the light of our submission to Jesus. If I'm going to walk like Jesus, that means I need to learn the discipline of not always getting my way. And let me use the example of husbands and wives in this text to make this point. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to reread a portion of this text, okay? I just read it, but I'm going to read it again because it's so important. Going back to verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Did you catch it there? We get so caught up on this word submit that we forget the broader context. Submission is motivated by, informed by, submission to the Lord. Submit to the husband who is the head of the, the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And we get hung up on that word head. What does that mean, head of the wife or head of the church? We need to understand that term Uh, as it relates to Christ. Because in our culture, authority is routinely abused, right? Authority is routinely abused. But we need to understand what headship is in relation to Christ. How is Christ the head of the church? Christ is head of the church by providing the church, by protecting the church, by leading the church. It's never an abusive, dismissive, or self-serving type of leadership. Christ's leadership is a submissive leadership. And so wives and husbands both learn what submission looks like by looking to Jesus. 
Wives, submit as to the Lord. And then he turns his attention to husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for the body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, the world, our culture, is very confused about what it really means to love and to love sacrificially. I was talking about this passage with a friend a couple weeks ago because I knew I was going to be preaching on this passage. And just how difficult some of, these, some of these instructions are to hear in our culture. And I thought to myself, you know, I can't help but become a little cynical of the person who would criticize what the Bible says about love and marriage as being hopelessly outdated, as being hopelessly conservative. Because really, if you think about it, who is going to instruct us about what healthy relationships and healthy marriages really look like? The world? Does the world have it all figured out? What a healthy love and a healthy marriage can really look like? The world has come to define love in terms that are almost entirely self-centered. Think about it. Think about it. I love you because of the way you make who feel? Me feel. I love you because of the way you make me feel. Paul says if husbands, or he says of husbands, if you want a clue about what it means to love your wives, you must look to Jesus. Because his love was the furthest thing from self-gratifying, self-serving. His love was a submissive, giving, sacrificial love. Now stick with me just a second. I want to get a little bit technical. One, One of the problems that we have when we talk about love in our culture is that we really don't have a lot of words to describe the different types of love that we have, you know? So we say, I love Snickers bars, and I also love my wife. Like, what's the difference between those two different types of love? Well, in the first century, they had several different words for love, four prominent words for love. One word for love was the word sturge love, sturge. And this was positional love. It's sort of like a love of a mother between a mother and a child, or even the love uh, between a citizen and his country. It's a positional love. I love you because we are in this natural position where, I, where we have this relationship. The second word was philia love. This is where we get the word Philadelphia. Adelphos in Greek means brother. Philia means love. So we call Philadelphia the city of brotherly love. Philia is uh, the love of affection or the love of liking something. Okay? The third word is the word eros. Eros love. It's where we get the word erotic. And eros love is, um, is the love of desire. It's the love of desire. And then the fourth love is agape love, a word that you might have heard before. Agape love is sacrificial love, self-giving love, where I give myself to the other person. Now, the first three types of love are completely natural and fine, but they're also very easily distorted. And when it comes to relationships, they are ultimately insufficient if there's not also the presence of agape love. 
The best example of, of, uh, of what we've done, or the best example is what we've done to eros love in our culture, which is the most self-interested kind of love. In Paul's day, in Paul's culture, eros love, this love of desire, had become so twisted, so abused, that this word doesn't even appear in the pages of the New Testament. And in our own day, eros love is put forward as the standard for marriages and relationships. And so we say, I love you as long as you fulfill my desires. As long as you make me feel a certain way, emotionally or physically, then I love you. When those desires go away, when those desires uh, uh, ebb, then we must have what? We must have fallen out of love. Because we define our love for each other based on what it gets me. But it's sort of like, if you think about it this way, it's a contractual understanding of love and marriage. In a contract, as long as you hold up your end of the deal, as long as you hold up your end of the bargain, then we're fine. I mean, we've agreed to these terms. You do this for me. I do this for you. As long as we hold up our end of the bargain, then we're fine. But if you fail to hold up your end, then I feel completely justified in walking away from this arrangement. And that's what a lot of marriages, that's a lot of what a lot of relationships have become. They become contractually oriented. Where we only will love one another as long as we both fulfill our end of the bargain. But agape love is never contractual love. Agape love is always covenantal love. And there's a huge difference. A covenantal love is where I give my whole self to you. Not because I expect something from you in return, but because that is what true love demands. A covenantal love is not based on the worthiness of the one who is loved, as, as in some sort of contractual arrangements. And it's not based on the worthiness of the one, which is a really good thing, because on a lot of days, I am not worthy of respect. Guys, can I get an amen on that? There's a lot of days where I'm not worthy of respect. Long day of work, I come home, I'm tired, I'm grumpy, I'm short-tempered, my mind is focused on other things. There's a lot of days I'm just not worthy of respect. And ladies, I'm sorry, but this, is, this might hurt, but there's a lot of days where you're not very lovable. It's just the truth. I'm sorry. But see, covenantal love, agape love, It's not based on whether or not you're worthy to receive my love and submission and respect. It's not based on that. It's based on my previous submission to Christ. And Christ has informed me and shown me and taught me what true love really looks like. True love means I give myself entirely for your benefit. That's what it means to truly submit in a loving way. Now, one more thing. Paul in this text, and this is, tune me in, this is critically important. Paul in this passage uses marriage as an illustration to show the relationship between Christ and the church. Paul in this text uses marriage as an illustration to show the relationship between Christ and the church. This means two very important things. The first thing that this means is your marriage, if you're in this room and you're married this morning, or if you're in this room and you're anticipating getting married someday, your marriage is a living, breathing testimony of the grace that we've received in Christ. 
Your marriage is a testimony to the grace that we've received in Christ. When people look at your marriage or when people look at your future marriage, what they will see is the living embodiment of grace. The second thing that this means is, if Paul uses marriage as an illustration to show the relationship between Christ and the church, the second thing that this means is, you better believe that Satan will attack your marriage any chance that he gets. Because that's how critically important it is. Third thing, quickly. So the context of submission is within relationship. The motivation for submission is in Christ. Thirdly, the power for submission is in the Holy Spirit. The power for submission is in the Holy Spirit. Grammatically speaking, this command in Ephesians 5.21 is linked to a previous statement in Ephesians 5.18, a few verses before, where Paul says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, he says, here's the alternative, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Continually open yourself up to the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. And one of the things that will happen when you are filled with the Holy Spirit in this way is that you'll be given the grace to submit to one another. Because listen, submission does not come naturally, at least to me. Maybe you're better than I am, but submission does not come naturally to me. I fuss and I feud and I, I, I claw like... I. I try to protect my own desires, whatever the cost, right? Submission does not come naturally to me. Submission is no more natural to me than salvation. And so I need God's help, and so do you. And I need the Holy Spirit's help to lead me to know what it is to submit. I need to position myself through prayer to allow the Holy Spirit to do work in my life. What is the best way to grow in any discipline? The best way to grow in any discipline is to practice and to pray. Practice the daily discipline of not getting your way. It'll be fun. Practice the daily discipline of not getting your way. Look for for moments within your day where you can not get your way. You know what you'll discover over time? you'll discover over time that you're really not losing anything other than the overwhelming burden of always trying to get your way. Practice the discipline of not getting your way. Secondly, pray this prayer. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Because I don't have the strength on my own to submit in this relationship. I mean, did you see what he did? Did you hear what she said? These kids are driving me crazy. I don't have the strength in and of myself to find the will to submit in this relationship because I don't want to. God, I need your strength. I need your spirit to do a new work in my life. This isn't on me because in my own strength, I can't do it. I need to pray this prayer. And I would encourage you, pray this prayer with your spouse. God, fill us with the Holy Spirit. Fill us with the Holy Spirit to learn what it means to submit to one another out of reverence for the Lord. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.